In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Merry Christmas, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that, on a typical day, studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. This episode, we are going to be looking at who Jesus was, how he relates to us, and how he came into the world. As I typed out my outline for this, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to be talking to you about, but... Personally, I'm just excited to see what God has to teach me as I learn alongside you all. Before we hop into everything, I just wanted to take a minute to be thankful for everything God has gifted me. This God that I tell you about is a God who has never stopped pursuing me. He is a God who transforms lives, and I know because he's transformed mine. There was a time where I was sleeping when my spirit was dead when I was a slave to the world and stuck in chains. My heart was constantly aching for something more and I was always frustrated, but now I am awake. My spirit is alive in Jesus Christ and my heart is filled daily so that I can experience freedom and joy. And all of this was made possible because the King of Kings was willing to be brought into earth as a vulnerable, human baby to a girl named Mary in a barn in Bethlehem. John 1, 1 through 2 tells us that Jesus, referred to as the word, was with God in the very beginning of what we call time. When God was speaking the earth and the heavens into existence and the spirit of God was acting out his will, the son, the word, Jesus, was right there with them. The Trinity was there from the start. One God, mind you, (laughs) one purpose, one will. And what was God's will? You can either read the first few chapters of Genesis to find out or re-listen to my second episode where I talk about Eve, but God created us to be in relation with him. He made a paradise that operated in his perfect will, void of pain, suffering, and death. A garden where he walked with his favorite creations, the one whom he called very good. But God did not create robots. He did not create for himself slaves to do his will. That would not make for a perfect love if there was no choice involved, would it? Unfortunately for all of us today, Eve and Adam were deceived and they chose wrong. And our world has been suffering ever since. Pain, suffering, wars, poverty, sickness, death, and worst of all, a separation from God's physical presence and his perfect will. Where humans exist, operating in their own ideas of what is right and wrong, we run into a lot of problems. I mean, by chapter four of Genesis, the first murder occurs. But God's will is still the same, and it's never going to waver. And God's will, it will be done. By chapter 12 of Genesis, and look how early on in the Bible that is. This is chapter 12. God is already hinting to Abram, soon to be Abraham, his plans. 
God tells Abram that he will make him into a great nation. And if you're a little familiar with the Bible, you would say, yeah, and he does. Abraham is the starting point for the nation of Israel. And you would be correct. But guess what? It's even better than that. Abraham is not only in the lineage of Jesus, but Galatians 3, 7 tells us that those who have faith are children of Abraham. The great nation that God is promising to Abram in the first book of the Bible in Genesis is not just in reference to Israel, his chosen nation, but to the nation of believers who call Jesus their king. Isn't that awesome? There's a ton scattered throughout the Old Testament that tell of Jesus's coming, the coming of a Messiah. So let's just glance at a few. The first one actually comes earlier than God's promise to Abram. In Genesis 3, 15, it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is God's words towards the serpent who deceived Eve. He is promising a savior that's going to be born to a woman who will crush Satan. Before Adam and Eve were even banished completely from the garden, God already had a plan to bring humanity back into his presence. Genesis 12, 3, 17, 19, and Numbers 24, 17 tells us that this savior would come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Genesis 49, 10 tells us that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Micah 5, 2 says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This prophecy states that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7:14 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That one seems the most straightforward, right? Sounds familiar to just about everyone, even non-Christians. Second Samuel 7, 12 through 13 says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This one was a promise God was making to King David. He promised David that one day David would have an heir through which God would establish his throne. This offspring would have him reign forever for eternity. That's why genealogies were so important in the Bible. I know it tends to be something we kind of scan over real quick, think is boring, or maybe even skip over entirely, but certain people who are included in those are meant to be there for honor, you know, some for context, and others to be able to trace where the Messiah came from. The first chapter in Matthew shows us the genealogy of Jesus who does indeed come from Judah and the lineage of Abraham and David. Scan through there and you could recognize a couple of names that we've talked about in past episodes too. As for the story of the birth of Jesus, let's just read through it and stop and discuss if the spirit leads us to. So for the most like complete picture of the story of Christmas, I typically start off in Luke chapter one, verse five, read through 45 skip to 56 through 66, and then verse 80. So starting off in Luke chapter one, verse five, it goes, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abihah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So I know I started off the Christmas story maybe in a different place than you were expecting. Most people kind of start off with Mary and all of those things, which also makes sense and is a shorter, more condensed version. But I think context when we're reading the Bible is really important. And there's a time I'm about to talk about when Mary visits Elizabeth and understanding the context of how divine these appointments are and how often these particular angels are coming to speak to them. It just, it helps to get that whole picture. I know I've spoken about this last year around Christmas time. I talked about Elizabeth and about Mary. So if you want like more talking about these particular chapters, go ahead, look back a year. There's a story on Mary and all of this stuff from 2020. So that's a good place to go. But moving on, now that we've learned about John and Elizabeth and Zechariah, let's look and continue in verse 26. It says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the son of God. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary lucked out that when she asked a question, unlike Zechariah, she gets to keep her voice. So that was pretty kind. But still, this would have been like super overwhelming. Number one, angels aren't exactly what a lot of people depict them to be. They're not always just these, you know, shiny men with wings. But a lot of the time, the way that the Bible describes angels are like really trippy looking. So it's understandable that people would be terrified if someone just like popped up shining in like your house, but let alone looking like something otherworldly and giving this crazy news. Did you catch exactly what Gabriel told her? He tells her that she is going to give birth to a child when she's a virgin, like just engaged to this one guy named Joseph, right? I'm sure all of that's going through her head at the exact same time as trying to figure out how she's going to explain this to him. And he's out here telling her that her child is going to be called son of the most high. And this matches up with the verse that we read earlier, the one in second Samuel, where God is telling his promise to David that his heir is going to, his offspring is going to be an heir of heaven. He's going to have the throne, right? He's going to continue it on and he's going to do it forever. And that's exactly what it says. It says, Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, the descendant, right? And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's perfect fulfillment of every single hint that they've been talking about this whole time. But you're talking about like, a young, not a young girl, but a young woman, a girl who <laughs> is being shown this favor by God and also given this heavy burden and responsibility now on her shoulders and in her, in her belly. So that's kind of one of the craziest parts of the Christmas story to me is the trust that was given to just this young girl who was a faithful servant of the Lord. And even in the midst of experiencing fear, she was still willing to be that servant. As she said, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her and it was to be. So continuing on in verse 39, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I love this story so much. I mean, you're talking about John in Elizabeth's stomach, who it, it tells us that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. It's like he just, he sensed the presence of his savior when they were both yet not born. Like Jesus would be barely a clump of cells practically at this point, if it was medically consistent with modern day pregnancies, right? And this six month-ish old baby, John, leaps in the presence of his savior and the mothers can interact and do these different things. And Elizabeth is filled so much with the Holy spirit because of the baby that's inside of her, that she can speak out and say, this is 
you, you are carrying my Lord inside you. Blessed are you who believe that the Lord would fulfill these promises to you and fulfill these promises to me. It's awesome. It's so cool. And then Mary sings a song and the song is cool. And we talk about that a little in the one episode I did on Mary. And then we continue on to verse 56 that says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John because that's what the angel had told her. And then they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So luckily for Zechariah, as the angel had proclaimed, he got his voice back. And all of this ended up going into glorifying God, right? Because it is exactly what they said would happen. And everyone around them was filled with awe and fascinated. And it was all just a precursor for Jesus's coming. All of it just lined up in a way to set the stage and know that Jesus the Messiah would be arriving. Not that everyone would accept that or understand it or exactly be excited about it when they were hoping for some kind of king to just ride on down and take care of everything and conquer their enemies. I mean, no one was expecting a baby. At least majority of people definitely were not. Sometimes it can be really hard to understand and comprehend God's plans because they do not always match up with what we're expecting out of life. In fact, I think, I think they rarely do. But it is really cool to be 2000 plus years in hindsight and look back at this story and compare it with the prophecies and understand what was going on and understand that God's will is going to be done and that his plans also go so much past our comprehension and past our understanding as a whole. And then Zechariah has a song that he sings, and I wasn't going to include it, but it's still cool, so why not? It's there. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. And a horn in this aspect of how it's being used is in reference to like a strong king. Typically horn is in reference to strength when you're looking at it in like the Psalms and things like that. So he has raised up a horn or a strong king of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. So this is in reference to Jesus, as he said, through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies who are our enemies, Satan and sin. So salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, talking to John, will be called a prophet of the most high. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare 
the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. John had the honor and the responsibility of going on before the Lord and preparing hearts for people to accept and reject Jesus. He was trying to make the road straight for the Messiah to come. And I actually do love that I ended up reading this part of the scripture because what was really on my heart was John chapter one, talking about the darkness that could not overcome the light of Jesus Christ. And it's saying, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, before going into the typical Christmas story of the birth of Jesus, Mary was told she's having a son, but what about her betrothed, Joseph, right? Wouldn't he be kind of like weirded out if his like fiance came up and was like, hey, side note, I'm pregnant, um, but I'm still a virgin. God just told me that I'm carrying the Messiah. Like that would be a little crazy, a little hard to believe. Luckily, God thought ahead of time and wanted to make sure that Joseph and everybody were on the same page. So in Matthew chapter one, verse 18 through 25, it reads like this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy spirit because Joseph, her husband was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, he was a good man. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in hers is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means. God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So to go into that aspect of the story, we're going to hop back into Luke chapter two, and we're going to read verses one through 40. And that is going to be the more stereotypical and better understood version of the Christmas story the actual birth of Jesus. So chapter two, verse one starts off. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. They're always saying, do not be afraid. People are still afraid. <laughs> I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things he had, they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. There's a lot you could talk about in the story of Jesus, but I think one of the first and craziest aspects is that Jesus is the king of kings. And so he could have chosen, God could have chosen to put him in a palace and had him born a king. He could have had some kind of golden cradle and a bajillion servants and been wrapped in pristine white cloth and I mean it could have been a crown on his head from day one but God didn't send Jesus down to be king of a broken world he sent Jesus down to experience humanity to experience all of the same trials and tribulations and temptations that we as humans experience in this world with all the hardships associated with it. He was chosen to be born to the, I mean, not the lowest of the low, but pretty much. And he chose for his birth, God chose for this birth to happen in a barn, in a little town, because there were no rooms at the inn for a young, pregnant teenager. And so he was wrapped in probably slightly dirty cloths and put in a feeding trough surrounded by probably all sorts of barn animals with just Mary and Joseph in a barn. King of the world, creator of the universe. He was there in the beginning, born in a barn in Bethlehem. And who are the first people told about this? Who are the first people who are like, hey, a savior has been born here. Like who are the first people that an angel's like, gotta go tell people shepherds like humble shepherds in a field doing their jobs watching over their sheep are showered with the presence of the lord and having this angel tell them what's going on and how they can find this savior the first introduction i don't know who would have been more surprised the shepherds or poor mary and joseph just having this first child knowing who this child is laying in a manger and then just shepherds burst in <laughs> I don't know who that would be more of a shock for, but it's just so cool. And so not what a human would have planned to do with the savior of the universe, but God did. And this was the story that he created for him. 
Continuing on in chapter two, verse 22, it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Oh, that is so cool to look at in hindsight. Once again, referring to him as a light for a revelation to the Gentiles, people who aren't even in this Jewish nation before Jesus said a word about, before Paul goes out and evangelizes to all these different people, like, None of this has happened yet. And this man is filled with the Holy Spirit and knows that there is going to be Gentiles included in this redemption. And there is going to be glory for the true believers of the nation of Israel. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So a widow for most of her life. She never left the temple, but worshiped every night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. But this wasn't the end of the Christmas story. You might be wondering like, hey, where's the wise men? Where are the, there was more to this story. I feel like there was more. Fun fact, wise men did not see a baby Jesus, but we do learn about the wise men in Matthew chapter two, right after that section, we read about the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream to tell him about Jesus. Right after that section we read at the end of chapter one, we now get into chapter two and we continue on the rest of the story. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Side note on Magi, those were the wise men that we're usually referencing, and they were smart people that kings consulted to help them make decisions. And typically they were astrologers and a few other things associated with it so when they say we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him that's kind of on par with that because they were studying the stars and looking for signs within them so when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him you know who's king of the jews they don't even have a their own nation right now right they're all part of that roman empire 
verse four, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord, a busy angels, right, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So tragedy interwoven into, into what should just be a beautiful story always seems there's some kind of tragic thing in this world that has to happen in the midst of it. So in the same time, we're getting the savior of our world as a toddler, they have to go hide in Egypt. And in the process, one of these evil kings feels the need to seek out destruction just because of the label king of the Jews sounded too scary for him to be able to handle. So finishing up chapter two, it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, a theme, and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So we got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And then the rest of the gospel is more about, there's like one story about Jesus's childhood, and then it hops into John and the early stages of Jesus' ministry, all the way through those, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, this child that we learn about, this fulfillment of prophecies regarding a Messiah, was not born as a king or a conqueror. He did not come as some kind of warrior that many had expected. He did not come to free people from human empires, not this time, anyway but he came to be a living sacrifice, a perfect lamb born without blemish and living without blemish. He came to free us of sin 
and provide us access to the God that our flesh lives in rebellion of. He came to redeem our spirits so that God's will may one day be carried out and we can live an eternal life in his goodness and his presence. Jesus grew up to conquer death and to leave his spirit behind with us when he ascended into his rightful place at the right hand of God. Don't miss it. God's perfect will is to know you, to walk with you, to live in and through you. He loved you so much that he sent his son not just to die for you, but to be born lowly to a girl in a barn, to live a life filled with the same temptations you and I face and overcome it all, to teach us and to give us a form of God that we can understand as humans with such little faith and little understanding. With such little understanding and faith, thank God for God's word. It teaches us so well. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Rest knowing that if your heart believes and you declare that Jesus is Lord, you are in alignment with God's will for your eternal life. May there never be anything more worth celebrating than the birth, death, and resurrection of the Savior who created the world, created you, and wants you. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness will never overcome it. That's everything I have for today. My outline and readings that I used for today's episode will be on the blog. I hope to see you all soon in 2022. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, the Christmas story, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I'm able to. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth, and you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.